This piece was written by Max Haven, A.T. Kingsmith, and Eris Comparosos Athanasio, and was published in the Los Angeles Review of Books on Saturday, the 13th of November, 2021. Has our world become a vast game we can't win? This Matrix-esque premise that we're all trapped in some sort of massive alternate reality game orchestrated by nefarious scientists or rogue supercomputers has grown in popularity in recent times. Championed by the likes of Oxford philosophy professors and pseudo-intellectual billionaires, the most sophisticated version of this theory extrapolates from the growing power of computers and evidence about how easy it can be to trick the human mind. Conspiratorial versions of this theory speculate that the weirdness of our age, notably the election of Donald Trump in 2016, suggests that reality is broken because of a flaw in its intelligent and malevolent design. But beyond such fantasies, the notion that we are all stuck in some sort of game we are not intended to win feels commonplace, with worrying results. Around the world, young people are increasingly practicing forms of social withdrawal and pessimistic malaise based on their generally well-founded belief that the late capitalist world holds few opportunities other than hustle, debt, and worry. We should contextualize the recent rise of conspiracy theories, like the notorious and extremely popular QAnon fantasy, within this pervasive mood of cynicism, suspicion, boredom, and defeat. Today, not only do games of all types represent a massive entertainment industry, and not only have they become pivotal to the lives of billions of people, but games also provide a profound cultural font of meaning-making that shapes politics. It has long been recognized that recruitment for the American Armed Forces and the skills of new recruits benefit from a kind of pre-training that mostly boys and young men encounter in the world of games. Alarming reports have recently revealed how the far right are using online games to recruit the same demographic. And so it should probably come as no surprise that in an age when conspiracy fantasies are identified by the White House as a major domestic and international threat, games and gaming should be proposed as an antidote. In November of 2020, the U.S. Department of State and Homeland Security, together with psychologists from the University of Cambridge, launched Harmony Square, a free-to-play online game. The game is premised on the idea that one can inoculate players against conspiratorial fantasies by exposing them to small doses of political misinformation and thus help develop antibodies with which to fight off the real world's fake news. The metaphor of disinformation and conspiracism as a virus was potent even before the pandemic alerted us to the importance of collective, society-wide action of preventing contagion. It has the benefit of making us realize that anyone can be a carrier and, help, and can help spread something that is dangerous to the collective good. Quote, the idea is to empower people to make their own decisions, better decisions, by giving them simple tools or heuristics, simple rules that can help them, reports lead author Anastasia Kozyevreva, a research scientist at the Max Planck Institute for Human Development in Berlin. By slotting players into the role of chief disinformation officer, whose job is to lie and manipulate public opinion to foment political rifts in Harmony Square, an otherwise peaceful town obsessed with democracy, Kozireva and her team attempt to educate players by devising a mischievously benign game with which to treat a larger and more sinister one, the rising tide of bizarre conspiracy theories. Yet as well-intentioned as the social impact game may indeed be, we see many limits in Harmony Square, implicitly grounded in assumptions that see conspiracism as an irrational, emotive reaction that can be ameliorated by more and better facts, 
the game glosses over the broader social, cultural, and economic contexts of conspiracy movements today. If we're all trapped in a game we can't win, it should come to us as no surprise that people flock together to break the rules of truth, of law, or of convention to find, for a moment, fellow feeling and a sense of purpose. While games can and should be an important part of helping us chart alternatives, they cannot simply seek to return us to the norms, conventions, and attitudes of late capitalism, which so many people are trying, desperately and tragically, to escape. Addressing individuals solely as rational, calculating agents who must be empowered to judiciously navigate the marketplace of idea, this reinforces a neoliberal ethos that has, writ large, created a world of precarity, alienation, and fatalism within which conspiratorial communities feel, to their members, like a reprieve. To truly challenge conspiracy fantasies, we need to not only debunk and inoculate people, but to address the deeper systemic problems at play. Can games help us do so? While concerns had mounted for years, the January 6, 2001 attack on the US Capitol has catalyzed media, academic, and policymaker interest in conspiracy theories, in particular the dangerous obsession of millions of Americans and people around the world with the gospel of Q. In what appears to some critics to be a mass participatory game or a strange new millenarian cult, followers believe that a secret government operative, codenamed Q, is using some of the raunchiest channels of the dark web to feed cryptic messages to them about a diabolical plot. A secret cabal of senior politicians, billionaires, and celebrities are trafficking children as part of a satanic sexual abuse ring, and, perhaps even more absurd than that, Donald Trump is dedicated to a selfless war against them. Countless articles and exposés have interviewed tearful friends and relatives of individuals who have become completely infatuated with this story. QAnon's popularity is certainly disturbing. A recent poll indicates that, if categorized as a religion, as is advocated by some who propose the term conspirituality to describe the phenomenon, it would rank as among the major faiths in the United States, with over 30 million avowing its main tenets. And yet, as observers warn, analyses that highlight the jaw-dropping irrationality and millenarian zeal of this strange crusade, one that is largely orchestrated on the so-called dark web, do us a disservice. Commentators have noted the high average level of education of many devotees. As numerous theorists of conspiracy highlight, such fantasies usually stem not from gullibility and ignorance, but actually from skepticism, curiosity, and a distrust of powerful, all of which are important democratic virtues. No mere passive recipients of absurd propaganda Supporters of Q are invited to follow the breadcrumbs regularly dropped by Q and to apply their own sleuthing, their critical thinking, and their imagination to piece together their own never-ending narrative, which today includes numerous politicians, celebrities, and current events in a mind-boggling kaleidoscope of often contradictory misdeeds. Theorist James P. Carse has called this kind of ever-expanding fabulation an infinite game, a puzzle in which nearly every item of news becomes yet another part of a huge, nefarious storyboard. It's not without reason that some game designers have observed with dismay that the QAnon phenomenon may be the largest ever mass participatory game, with potentially millions of players using the internet to egg one another on in dangerous fabulation. Concerned augmented reality game designer Reid Berkowitz introduces the concept of guided apophenia, to describe how those behind the conspiracy take a 
devastatingly light touch, inviting players, so to speak, to make their own connections between random information. The QAnon game, if it is that, is especially seductive in a world that appears increasingly chaotic and draws on adherents' intelligence and imagination while also providing a sense of righteous, moral community. The infamy of the January insurrection, the collapse of the Trump administration, and credible revelations about the squalid origins of Q in a rat's nest of internet trolls seems to have put a damper on the phenomenon. And yet, QAnon stalwarts have sought to preserve the movement and court mainstream opinion by repackaging themselves around a more generic Save the Children slogan, which taps into a long-standing reactionary fantasies that once materialized around the world as the satanic panic of the 80s and 90s, and that inherit the paranoia of Europe's vicious anti-Semitic blood libels. Perhaps for this reason, QAnon remains profoundly popular, with polls indicating that even many who don't subscribe to every tenet of the faith are still very receptive to the thrust of the underlying fantasies, that satanic ritual abuse is rampant, and that it is supported and enjoyed by billionaires, political elites, and celebrities, and that there's a secret order of good guys somewhere out there that are trying to stop it, but who are being stymied. QAnon is not only the most sensational conspiracy fantasy on the menu today, but also part of a broader conspiratorial turn in popular and political culture around the world. Along with kindred concerns like fake news and disinformation, conspiratorial thought is framed as a dangerous threat not only to infatuated individuals, but to society at large. For many mainstream critics, these fantasies are threats to democracy and the Enlightenment principles of rational, evidence-based judgment on which democracy is based. But as media theorist Jack Bradich points out, we should distrust the idea that today's phantasmagoria of conspiracy fantasies is a deviation from or a bastardization of an otherwise sane or rational social and political order. If anything, the last 30 years of neoliberal capitalism have delivered us to a world of unceasing corporate propaganda in the form of advertising and public relations, and bipartisan political bombast, compounded by a two decades long war on terror, whose rhetoric of human rights was weaponized to sell murderous forms of imperialism. Since at least 2008, the triumphant discourse that a rising tide of economic growth would lift all boats, that corporate friendly policies would allow wealth to trickle down, have begun to sound more and more like a cruel joke. Wages continue to slump for most working people, and work-related stress escalates for nearly everyone, including, notably, even for the wealthy. As writer Marcus Gilroy Ware notes, the narrative about a dangerous shift away from truth, facts, and reason is highly useful, precisely because it distracts us from the very deep political and economic shifts that in so ways have given rise to this drift. Dangerously, this narrative guiles us into imagining that if only we could better educate, better sensitize, better inoculate people to disinformation and fake news, the withering tree of democracy would once again bloom. But in its focus on educating the individual dupe, it's all too often easy to ignore the broader structures, what education theorist Henry Giroux has called the public pedagogy that has previously educated all of us in a world of, to put it succinctly, bullshit. The experience of being a compulsory gamer in which you can never really win helps explain the scattershot of ideology which animated the capital siege. What we are gesturing towards here is the way that contemporary politics of conspiratorial and reactionary movements emerge and take strength from a gamified world where everyone on some level knows, whether they can admit it or not, that the game is rigged, 
and yet we all must play anyway. The QAnon movement's conspiratorialism offers moments of what appears to be collective gaming. In spite of the hatred and the paranoia, participation in this fantasy offers a joyful social game in which, for a moment, the rigged social rules of society appear to be overturned. True enough, the QAnon phenomena is also animated by paranoia, anger, rage, hate, and visceral disgust. But there's also a curiosity, a joy, a solidarity, and a sense of righteous purpose to the way participants weave them together an elaborate tapestry from the threads of popular culture, current events, received ideology, and imaginative play. These instances can be fruitfully imagined as a dangerous cooperative game of alienated subjects clinging to the vague promise of answers that can help explain why their lives have turned out the way they have. Conspiratorialism in this regard also provides what all games promise, a sense, even briefly, of community, of shared creativity, of the feeling of being part of something larger and more important, of moving towards some horizon of change. In a world characterized by disaffection, isolation, and futility, conspiratorialism appears to offer the antidote, but not because it claims to offer an accurate compass of what might allow one to chart meaningful social change. Indeed, arguably the most successful forms of conspiratorialism offer a vague, contradictory, and unreliable cognitive map of the world. This clouded form of mapping is effective precisely because it mirrors the confusing experience of the social game itself. What conspiratorialism ultimately affords, then, is a community of dangerous play. That the players may refuse to see it as a game is actually just part of the game. So too is the game of saying, it's just a game, when clearly it's no longer just a game. The online game Harmony Square is a prominent attempt to offer an alternative gaming experience to the one permeating contemporary reactionary conspiratorialism. The concept is simple and the gameplay is fun, reminiscent of the text-based adventure games and pixelated graphics of early video games. The player is cast as a chief disinformation officer seeking to use a variety of online techniques to polarize the town of Harmony Square. On the face of it, the game's attempt at consciousness raising is a worthy goal, but in our view it's vexed by two key problems. First, the game approaches belief in misinformation as an individual pathology based on ignorance or carelessness, rather than a shared social conundrum symptomatic of the broader socioeconomic structures of our time. Second, in stripping the game's scenario of recognizable politics and in positioning the player as a nefarious outside agitator, the game implicitly invites its target audience to identify with a kind of vague, contentless centrism. This may appeal to people who already tend to conform to mainstream political opinion, but not those who are perhaps most likely to embrace disinformation that targets what are framed as the extremes. Now, under the hood, the game applies a concept from behavioral economics known as nudging, designing environments to steer people towards better choices, to seek to create healthier digital spaces. In theory, the same nudging practices used to push targeted ads or outlandish conspiracy theories on social media could provide a counter to rampant misinformation. The behavioral nudges informing the game design of Harmony Square are largely based on inoculation theory, which is based on the belief that exposure to weak doses of particular stimuli, in this case, conspiratorial thinking and the techniques behind it, can help people become more resistant to disinformation in the future. By showcasing how you, the malintended actor, can work to incite political division using form manipulation techniques, 
Those are trolling for outrage, abusing emotions to nurture fear and anger, deploying bots and fake social media accounts to increase credibility, and finally polarizing users to create and disseminate conspiracy theories. Harmony Square aims to pre-bunk such attempts before they happen. In contrast to debunking, which responds to fake news and conspiratorialism after it's already spread, pre-bunking seeks to achieve a kind of digital herd immunity. Harmony Square's creators posit that pre-bunking prevents people from being taken in by lies because they can recognize the message that attempt to manipulate the public. According to the game's designers, pre-bunking has proven effective in achieving some of these aims. In a randomized controlled trial published in HKS Misinformation Review, Harmony Square developers asked 681 participants to rate the reliability of a series of tangible and falsified news and social media posts. Those who played the game showed a drop in, quote, perceived reliability of fake news, unquote, by an average of 16% compared to the control group who played Tetris instead. They were also 11% less likely to share fake news than the control group. What's more, the player's own politics, whether they identified as left or right-leaning, made no difference in such outcomes. However, upon closer inspection, cracks began to appear in the veneer of these promising results. A 2021 paper circulated by MIT researchers found that debunking a claim after participants were exposed to fake news was more effective in combating misinformation because no amount of pre-bunking was able to get people to ignore false attention-grabbing headlines. It was feedback after the exposure, revealing the hoax and demonstrating to the participants how their attention had been manipulated, that made correct information stick. This raises several questions. How effective can the purported immunization of players be? Given that inoculation only works on people who voluntarily play game, how can designers incentivize new players to challenge their beliefs by playing these games? And importantly, can a reliance on pre-bunking, introducing questions about, for instance, vaccine efficacy or climate change, in effect sow the very conspiratorial skepticism it's supposed to protect against? The issues with pre-bunking alluded to by such questions are glossed over by a simplistic moral universe that pervades all aspects of Harmony Square. Here, bad actors, that is, trolls and foreign agents, seek to subvert democracy with narratives that run against the status quo, while good actors, politicians and journalists, simply want to get to the bottom of things. Yet, from Watergate to Pizzagate, the long shadow of conspiracy stretches across countless political actors and journalists actively proliferating misinformation for their own ends or for ideological purposes. In White Lies, A Racial History of Post-Truth, Robert Mejia, Kay Beckerman, and Curtis Sullivan point out that the accusation of disinformation has historically been used to both discredit activists seeking to address racial injustice and to normalize white supremacist disinformation. Similarly, many of those labeled as trolls and manipulators are often, in reality, working to hold power to account, but are easily framed as malevolent by those in power. Philosopher David Cody analyzes this, the underlying problems with approaches to conspiracism that draw on simplified dualisms. Conspiring, he argues, is a normal part of politics and business and, in turn, conspiratorial suspicions are an important part of the way people try to make sense of how power is working in their society. The deployment of the slur that such sense-making is a conspiracy theory is actually a kind of rhetorical play by those with power and authority, which, ironically, 
tends to add fuel to the fire by rendering public opinion more cynical. The treatment of emotion in Harmony Square is a case in point. Among the characters in the game are trolls tasked with manipulating a local election by, quote, putting out large volumes of emotionally charged content, unquote, that can trick voters into, quote, acting on emotion, unquote. Yet by reducing emotions to rage bait of extreme opinions, such rhetoric conceals the fact that emotional appeals are commonplace in politics. After all, Obama's invocation of hope and change were just as emotionally charged as Trump's twisted promise to make America great again. True enough, emotions can cloud sound judgment, but repeating the story that conspiracies proliferate because people don't care about facts has, in many ways, become its own conspiracy fantasy, one that positions those who espouse it as in a self-aggrandizing, rational political center, beset on all sides by irrational extremists. But what if the centrist position, as Tariqa Lee suggests, ultimately is just an emotionally driven preference for an irrational status quo that amounts to a defense and normalization of an extremist form of neoliberal capitalism. But there is a broader issue at work here. The game, Harmony Square, implicitly rests on the assumption that conspiracists and fake news sympathizers are de facto cognitively convinced by, and thus deeply emotionally invested in, the disinformation narratives. It presumes that they are unable to distinguish fact from fiction. But what if those in the grips of conspiracism and fake news are not the dupes we like to imagine them to be? What if they enter into these communities based on their belief in the same values of skepticism, rationality, and democratic principles that the game, Harmony Square, itself promotes? For instance, since the game's release, we have seen the arrival of a powerful worldwide anti-vaccination and anti-lockdown movement that organizes itself around its own fervent calls for skepticism towards the narratives of the powerful, distrust of both leg legacy and online media, and encouragement of citizens to, quote, do their own research and, quote, engage in a debate elites don't want them to have. They don't believe they are emotionally beguiled dupes of disinformation, though this may in many cases be true. What then? Can a game do? If such approaches, which presume that ill-educated emotional thinking needs to be chased out by rigorous rationalism won't work, what will? The question has proven vexatious to experts across the political spectrum. Our sense is that, in an age when games are becoming part of the fabric of daily life, politics, and the capitalist economy, experiments like Harmony Square are vitally important but they cannot be separated from their context, one where games and gamification are conventionally being used to entrench, rather than confront, established forms of power. As games are increasingly designed and used to sell products, nudge behaviors, cynically promote political agendas, and hook players for the benefit of profit or of others, we should expect that alienation, cynicism, and fatalism will only increase. This is the fertile soil within which conspiracy fantasies grow, not because they prey on weak emotional minds, but rather because they offer a sense of meaning, a sense of community, and a sense of urgency in a disenchanted world. In interviews with QAnon believers or players, for instance, we often hear how participation in the game has given otherwise isolated people a new lease on life and a righteous community of people who actually want to do something about the terrible state of the world. In a capitalist world that is almost completely shaped by the inhuman and banal power of money, the notion that real power is in the hands of a secret cabal of evil warlocks, 
and even better, that one can join a secret resistance against them, is, indeed, intoxicating. Trapped in a meaningless capitalist game that the vast majority of us cannot hope to win, why not choose to play a different game? Why not apply all the virtues of skepticism, reason, distrust of the powerful, and civic responsibility to this game? Games will no doubt play an important role in politics, economics, and culture in the coming decades, for good and for ill. But in order for them to open onto a promise of liberation, peace, and abundance, they will need to do more than inoculate players against fantasy. They will need to offer players the resources for better, more hopeful fantasies of a different socioeconomic system, and give them the tools to create it.